Somebody say, like a scarecrow in a melon patch. Real quickly, uh, how many of you were here, or how many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand up. You were not here last week? All right, hey, let me, let me bring you up to speed here. We're in a series, and it's based out of Jeremiah chapter 10, where Jeremiah is a prophet preaching to a backslidden nation. They used to follow God, but they'd gone bananas. And so in their craziness, they start worshiping all these false idols and false gods, and Jeremiah lays the smack down on them, and he basically says this. He goes, I want you to know, that all your idolatry is worthless. You gotta go out into the woods, you gotta cut out a tree, you gotta take it to a craftsman, he's gotta shape it into something, they adorn it with silver and gold, and then they gotta prop that thing up. And your idols are like a scarecrow in a melon patch. They're worthless. They don't have any life to them, they don't have any power to them, they can't save you, they can't help you or hurt you. They're lifeless. And what we've learned is, is that you and I, we don't, we don't have statues. We don't, I mean, at least I don't think you do. You might. Um, haven't been to your house, at least. So, but my guess is, is that you don't have statues up in your house, that you don't have shrines and, and, and poles and things and all that, and you're not making weird animal sacrifices in the kitchen. I mean, you know, I hope. You didn't get that from me. But what we do have is we do have idols in different ways because we are an advanced society. We are much smarter now. We are much more sophisticated now. We know that, that there's not a sun god. The sun's just a big ball of gas. And we know there's not a rain god. We just know the precipitation and the clouds. And we, we, we got all this stuff figured out. So we don't have those types of kind of ideas. We have more sophisticated versions of them now, don't we? And what we found is, is that all of us have idols in our heart that it's not a matter of, of if we do, they're, they're there. It, it, this is not a matter of like whether we love Jesus or not. You can actually want to follow God and still have an idol in your heart. And, and, and we've got to figure out how to find them and expose them. And my goal over these, these few weeks was to take a look at the three big idols that I believe every one of us deals with and faces at some point in our life. And last week we talked about, like the reality is, is that many of us have turned love, romance, sex, and marriage, and, and some form of that, that's a, big, that's a big bundle I just threw out there, we even turned that into an idol. And an idol is this, if you, if you haven't been with us, this is what an idol is. An idol is when you take anything in life and make it bigger than God. It's when you take anything, and it could be even a good thing. If you take a good thing and turn it, because marriage is a good thing. That's what the Bible says. But when you take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing, you've got an idol. You've you got a scarecrow. If you, if you have a thing in your life that you said, I've got to have this, and if I don't have this, life is not worth living, you've got a scarecrow in your melon patch. If you've got something that you've got already, and you say, if I ever lost this, life would lose meaning, I, I tell you, you've got a you got a scarecrow in your melon patch. When, when you think about your greatest fears or your greatest desires, sometimes those things are the idol of your heart. Sometimes those are the things, sometimes the things that we spend the money on the most, that, that, that could be the idol of our heart. It's, it's whatever we turn into something bigger than God and we begin to trust in it, hope in it, depend on it, and let it validate us. And many of us, we looked at that last week, that many of us, we let relationships validate us. We, we, if, we, if we didn't have a guy on our arm or a girl on our arm or if we weren't dating, we didn't feel like we were valuable or if I, if, if I ever lost him or lost her or if I could just have them. And we looked at a story that, that just showcased. Sometimes we can take something like love and romance and make it the ultimate thing that when we don't have it, we're, we're just feeling a little bit less than. Today we are gonna tackle a brand new subject that I guarantee you every one of us at some point in our life deals with. Now here's the funny one. 
This is the one that usually we are the most blind to. Let's pray before we look into the scriptures today. Father, we pray. We pray that your words would speak life into us, God. We pray that your words would be a light that kind of just flashed right into our soul, that God began to expose and turn over and reveal. But God also set free, put on the right path, God, to follow you and to follow your ways, God. We pray that you'd speak to us, help us, heal us, God. Do what it is that you do, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said? Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, today we're going to look at a new story and a new idea and a new idol. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bible, go there or you can follow it on the screen. The Bible sets the stage for a fascinating story. Now, this story does not have the level of drama. If you were here last week, okay, let me just say, if you were not here last week, you need to go. Because I told and broke off a story that you probably are not very familiar with and it outdoes Grey's Anatomy and, 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 and Real Housewives of New Jersey. Okay, it, it was awesome. Today is not as much dramatic, but it is quite shocking. And it won't be that shocking to you. And so here, let me help you real quick here, because as a listener, how many of you have grown up in church for some level of time now? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, if you've grown up in church, uh, you are going to be somewhat familiar with some of the stories of the Bible, and that is a detriment to you sometimes. Because when you've heard a story in the Bible, many times when you hear it again, you immediately brush it off and say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know that one. Or I heard that. I know what he's going. I know what he, Listen, just for, for as best you can, because I'm going old school. Did you, who grew up? Let's, let's see how far back we go. How many of y'all grew up in like kids church? Raise your hand. Kids church, Sunday school. How, how many of y'all had felt boards? Anybody grew up with felt board Jesus? It takes you back to a special place, don't it? Or a weird place. They don't know. Like I'm going to break, I'm going to break. How many know like certain Sunday school stories had a song with it? Now do you know where I'm going? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. And I can't remember the rest of the word. Hey, come down from there, something like that. Okay, so if it, listen, if, if you didn't grow up going to church, this story is awesome. It's going to be brand new to you. For everybody else who grew up singing that silly song or you just been in church, we're going to break off the story of Zacchaeus and show you how this man was motivated by an idol of his heart and how Jesus basically tears down the idol and helps set the man free. Go to Luke chapter 19 and read along with me. The Bible says that Jesus entered Jericho and was just passing through, didn't plan on staying there. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Don't you like how they lay it out? It's like, and he was rich. I need to get you a picture because this, this, this looks like the type of verse that you would just kind of skip over if you're reading the Bible, but this, this verse actually holds some pretty huge importance. Because the Bible says a couple of things, that Jesus was passing, passing through a specific type of town, it was Jericho, that he was there, and, and he runs into a man named Zacchaeus, and he was not just a tax collector, but he was actually a, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now here's what you need to know about tax collectors in their day, is that because of the time and culture that they lived in, you have to remember that they were not their own sovereign nation. They had some of their own laws and some of their own deals, but they were over the Ro or underneath the Roman Empire's rule and reign. And so Rome had certain stations, and they had military posts, and they had ways of setting up basically ways to dominate you, rule you, and tax you. Now how many of y'all love taxes? How many just 
Nobody loves taxes. I was just studying through with my son the American Revolution and the, the Boston Tea Party and the taxation without representation. Don't nobody like being taxed. We have never liked being taxed. And so you got to remember that Rome ruled over Israel and laid down a heavy tax. So the way that they would do this is that they wouldn't send in their own guys to collect taxes because that's dangerous going house to house. You know what I'm saying? We'll let you do that. And so what they chose was is they, 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 they tried to find some people who had issues and who had mistakes and who had problems in their heart. And they're like, we, we need to find somebody that's kind of dysfunction because what they have to do is, is they have to basically be the pariah of society. Ain't nobody going to like them. They are going to be the most disloyal. They're going to be disloyal to their people. They're going to be disloyal to their nation. They are going to be disloyal to their God. We got to find some low, some low life people up in here. And so they find Zacchaeus. And I don't know, the, the Bible doesn't get us the backdrop of his story. We don't know all the issues. I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he grew up in poverty. I don't know if his dad beat him up. I don't know if his, I don't know if kids made fun of him because he was short, because you're going to learn he was short. I, I don't know. But they found him and he became a tax collector. Now, again, just to showcase how bad this was, is in the Bible, whenever Jesus is talking to people, it'll describe the people he was talking to and it'll many times say, and Jesus is talking to sinners and tax collectors. Okay, like if you just lied and committed adultery and were ugly and just had all kinds of normal issues, you were a sinner. But we had a special class of people for y'all. Tax collectors. And you got to get this too. Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He is actually, it's, it's a specific word in the Greek that, that basically he is the head or the arch tax collector. That's why it says he's the chief tax collector. Meaning like he's not just one of the dudes that everybody hates. He actually is the leader of all the dudes that everybody hates. And the Bible says he was wealthy. Because this is what tax collectors did. They had the power of Rome backing them up. So what they would do is, is Rome would give them a certain amount of money to tax and then say, beyond that, you can just take whatever you want for your own wages and you can say whatever you want and do whatever you want. Because you had to incentivize these people so that they would be disloyal to their countrymen, to their nation, and to their God. And so these guys became really, really rich and really, really wealthy because they could tax you and say whatever they want and Rome would back them. Now again, how many of y'all like taxes? How many of you would like this guy? This is the guy that literally is stealing from you and has the power of Rome to back it up and he is despised and he is hated. Now let me ask you a question. What would drive a person to want that job? Like what would do it? What would drive you to be that guy? Yeah, greed. Greed. Greed is the thing. Power is mixed in there because it's a part of greed that drives people to do these types of things. And greed, as we will see today, is the idol of his heart. And here's what's fascinating, is that Jesus actually addresses the issue of greed really a lot more than he addresses other things. As a matter of fact, when, he, when, when you talk about like different sins and different issues that people carry, the way that we look at our stuff and our possessions and greed being in the backdrop of it all, Jesus addresses, addresses that as much as he does any other subject in all of his teachings. Why would he do that? As a matter of fact, let me, let me read, because like, if you just read the context of Luke and some of the surrounding chapters, listen to what you'll find. Luke chapter 12, verse number 15 says this. Watch out. Be on guard against what? All kinds of greed. Meaning like greed is not just one thing. Like let's not even get, let's not oversimplify this. There's different styles and kinds of greed. And Jesus says, watch out for this stuff. He goes, 
Because life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. That's a brilliant phrase. Like, I, I bet God wrote that. That is an amazingly true thought. But think about it. Jesus says, watch out. Like, you... Be on the lookout. He doesn't say this about anything else. If you notice this, like you won't see like, hey, watch out. You might commit adultery. Why does Jesus not say that? Because you know if you commit adultery or not. If you're with someone else's spouse, or you, it just is what it is. It's not like you get into it and then like after the fact, you're like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I think we just committed adultery. Nobody's that stupid. Or if you are, there are special places for you. Listen, Jesus says, watch out. Be careful for not just greed, but like all kinds of greed. Like be, be careful about this thing. This is something that you need to, need to look out for. You know, in, uh, earlier in this chapter, he does a whole bit on like people that worry and stress about money. Did you know that? Because here's the deal. Many of us, when we talked about all kinds of greed, some of us think of greed as just, I want more, I want more. We're like Gollum, you know what I mean? In, in Schmeagol, inside Lord of the Rings, like, I'm oh, my precious anymore. Like, that's like the, the most obvious version of greed. I want more, I need more, I need more, I want more, I want more. He said, actually, people who are so afraid and fearful and stressed and worry about money, they're just as controlled by it. It's just a different kind of greed. Are you hearing me? So like, the, if, if you're constantly anxious and worrying and stressed out and fearful of, I'm telling you, the same idol is there. It's just a different kind of greed. He says, so watch out for this stuff because life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. That, that word consist, like when we think about it, it, it kind of means this. It means that your identity is based on it. it. It refers to people, if they lose their wealth, they've lost their self because their personal worth is somehow connected to their financial worth. Like if you lost it all, would you lose your own soul? And we know this is true because when you go back and you look at the different crashes, if you go back and look at in 2008 when the real estate market bubbled, why did it bubble? It bubbled because there was groups of people in different avenues and different ways that said, I see a way to get more, to make more, to have more. I want more. And the bubble just, boof. And then people's realities crash and you see suicide rates go up. Think about it, go back to the dot-com bubble. What did you see? You saw people that saw an opportunity to get more, make more, have more, get more, make more, have more, and the bubble, boop. And then people's lives crashed and people start committing suicide. The suicide, why? Because their financial worth and their personal worth are related. And these are just the people that actually went all the way. Don't think that you had to commit suicide to, to, to show that you had an idol in your heart. Other people just, they lost themselves. They got depressed. They, they started wrecking their lives. Why? Because they lost who they were because it was attached to something other than what it was supposed to be. They had a scarecrow. And their melon patch. Listen, listen, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16. This is all, again, in a big, huge context. Jesus is, is directly talking about money and stuff, and he says this. He says, no one, everybody say no one. That means all of us. No one can serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? But money. Again, Jesus never says this about like God and Satan, God and self. He, he never does that. He said, you know what? The thing that competes for your heart is stuff. Is there's, there, you gotta think about it in these ways. Jesus refers to money in the form of idolatry. And that's what we're talking about today, that literally greed, stuff, the desire to have more, need more, it drives us many times. He goes, that thing is an idol, that thing is a scarecrow up in your melon patch. 
It is something that you took as a good thing and made an ultimate thing, and because of it, you have lost your way. And what do you do with an idol? You love them. You trust them. You obey them. Many of us, we are slaves to our own greed. It's quiet up in this Methodist church here. Nobody's amening right now. But see, here, here's the deal. I, I, I'm kind of I'm glad that we're not amening because here's the problem. Greed is the hardest thing to see in the mirror, isn't it? Do you know that as a pastor, I have conversations with people constantly. People email me needing help or questions. People come in counseling, and I love it. I love it. Do you know I've never had one conversation, one counseling session, one prayer. I've never had one that said, Pastor, I think I have an issue with greed. Why is it so hard to see? Why is it so hard to, to actually, you can see it in other people sometimes, can't you? Almost impossible to see in yourself. Jesus is like, watch out. Like, be on alert. Be on the guard. For, so, so, like, you know what, in essence, Jesus is saying, know that I'm your pastor and I love you. And we're preaching together. That whole no one, I'm in on that too. Everybody deals with this. This is not me pointing the finger at you. This is us having a counseling session together. It's like group therapy. But the fact is, is that Jesus is saying something along these lines. Watch out for all kinds of greed. In essence, this is what you need to do. Many of you out there, you just need to assume, as all of us, we need to assume that there's greed in our heart somewhere. Don't assume that it's not there. Just assume that it is there and you can't see it. And go digging for it and go looking for it and try, and try to put God's light on it and expose it and root it out and dig it up and give it to God so he can fix and heal and make hold again. You might as well just assume that you've got issues. And, and here's the deal. Just because you don't find it doesn't mean it's not there. And just because it's not there right now doesn't mean it won't be there later. Can, can I get an amen up here? I feel like, am I just, am I alone? I feel alone up here. Because do you know what the context of the whole watch out, be on guard? This is proof that Jesus knew what he was talking about. It was about a guy who his parents had died and he's trying to settle the family inheritance with his brother. Now, if you've ever been through this, you will see like people that had greed hidden in their heart and they seem real nice and they seem real sweet and all of a sudden the family inheritance is at stake. People get crazy. Have you ever been a part of that? Like people change. They literally, like Schmeagel does come out. And like people flip on you, all of a sudden like brothers, sisters, like we're supposed to love each other. Now we're all just hand over fist clamoring for everything. Jesus saying, be on alert, be on the guard. What would make a guy like Zacchaeus betray his countrymen, betray his nation, betray his God? There must have been an idol. And I think I said all that after two verses. Anyway, Luke chapter 19, verse 3 through 7, the Bible says we'll continue with the actual story. The Bible says that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus or see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he was a wee little man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this and began to celebrate and rejoice for Jesus' goodness towards little people. No, they muttered. They grumbled. They were agitated that Jesus had hooked up with the ark tax collector and said he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Here's what I want you to see two things out of this real quick here. Number one is this, is that what's fascinating is that the level of 
of pursuit that Zacchaeus went in. Zacchaeus was already a short guy. You, you have to remember that like our culture values different things than their culture. They were an honor-based culture. Like there was nothing more important to them in terms of social circles than being honorable and dignified. And there were two things that men never did. They never ran in public and they certainly didn't climb a tree. So this guy who's already short and who's already hated climbs and does the most undignified thing he can to do to, to get to Jesus. And the even more shocking thing, this is, this is two shocking verses, that he would climb a tree is number one. What was even more shocking is that a respected rabbi would go and hang out with him. That's why the people muttered. They're like, what? They were absolutely shocked. Here's what, it, it, listen, if you haven't been to church in a long time or you're not even sure if you believe in God, I, you need to listen to me real quick here. Zacchaeus did not invite Jesus into his home. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. Like Jesus wants to, like he's knocking. You, you don't have to come in his house. He wants to come in yours. Like you don't have to like do all these things and jump through all these hoops so that you can be with Jesus. Jesus is actually wanting to come be with you. And as you'll see is that when Jesus comes to be with you, life change happens. Nobody's expecting you to get everything right and to figure everything out and be this and be that and then you can come to Jesus. I want you to come to Jesus as jacked up and as dysfunctional as you are right now and just let him in. Because you don't gotta figure out life. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to, have a, you don't have to be full of faith to follow Jesus or to let Jesus in. You don't have to have all your fear. You don't have to have all the sin out, nothing. Just let him in. Watch what happens. So the Bible says, Verse number eight, that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, everybody say here and now. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and, I have, and if I have cheated anybody, wink, wink, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, here's what I need you to see. This man does not, Say, Jesus, I'd like to be with you. What do I got to do? Jesus has already invited himself to become or to be with Zacchaeus. And in response to God's grace and goodness and compassion, life change happens. Does that make sense? Like, it's not life change so that you can come to Jesus. It's Jesus so that you can have life change. Do you see the difference? Because had it been the difference, Zacchaeus would have been like, okay, Jesus, if I'm going to get saved, how much do I have to give? He didn't say any of that stuff. He's like, because of your goodness and mercy, because of your compassion, here's what I want to do in response to that. And what you see is, is here is how you overcome greed. You don't overcome greed by trying to be a better person. And you don't overcome greed by just trying to, to, to pray about that. You don't overcome greed, I don't even think, through counseling. I think you overcome greed by forcing yourself into generosity. And this is where you begin to see greed fall off of his life. Is, is number one, it started with the goodness and grace and compassion and love of Jesus. But then it moved from there into a, a, a response of saying, hey, he, as a matter of fact, look, look at what he does. He does two things. Number one is this, is he gives away 50% of his income. Wow. Like, I don't know what baller status he had. Like, that almost makes you feel like I'm ripping off the people and I'm ripping off the tax guys underneath me. I'm ripping everybody. This guy is multi, multi-millionaire, just to say, I can, because listen to what he does after this. He says, number two, I'm gonna give back four times the amount that I'd stolen. Do the math here. <laughs> you have so much money that you can give away half 
and then steal out of your half, pay back people four times what you stole? Holy crap, what have you been doing? That's how hated this guy was. You can give away half, and then out of your half, still pay back four. Because there was a a Levitical law. In the Old Testament, there was a law in Leviticus and Numbers that said that if you stole from somebody, you had to pay them back with 20% interest. He does even more than that. And again, what you see, you don't see him asking, do I have to? What do I have to do? He just, hey, hey, I just know that I need to do this. Number one is this, is I need to, I need to respond with generosity. I'm gonna give away half of everything I have to the poor and to the needy. And number two is this, is I'm gonna repay everybody that I've ever stolen from. That's generosity, and then there's justice. This is the response of salvation. Of anybody that has come to Jesus and had Jesus change and rearrange their life, the response is generosity and justice. That is the response. That's how we go. Because here's the deal. Again, he didn't say how much do I have to give. He never asked that question. See, I run into this all the time as as a pastor. I run into people who want to follow Jesus, but they still have an idol of greed in their heart. And so they've come into this life as babies with clenched fists, and they kept that their whole life. They want to follow Jesus, but they want to follow Jesus like this. And so they ask me questions like, well, how much do I have to give? I don't think that's the right question. As a matter of fact, if that's the question that you're asking, it kind of reveals that there's a clenched fist in your heart. It says, I don't really want to do this, so what do I have to do? This is almost like, I grew up in the South, um, and I am exposed to many a redneck. And a gentleman named Jeff Foxworthy came along with a comedy bit, and do y'all remember what I'm talking about? You might be a redneck if, and he would just say funny stuff like, you know, you might be a redneck if, if, you know, if you mow your lawn and you find a car, you know. You might be a redneck if your grandma can execute a proper rear naked choke. You know, that kind of thing. You, you might be a redneck if. I, I want to I help you real quick. You, you might be greedy. If the question is how much do I have to give, you, you, you might be greedy. You, you know, if the thought, because the Bible teaches tithing, this is another one of the questions I'll get, is, is well, this New Testament doesn't talk as much about tithing as the Old Testament. Do, I mean, do, do, we, do we have to tithe? I say like, You might have a scarecrow in your melon patch. Do you have to? I mean, you don't have to do anything, I guess. God's grace and goodness is there. You don't have to. But the fact that you ask the question, do I have to, is revealing in you that you don't want to let go. That something is more important than you. That something is bigger to you than. Does that make sense? And if you're in here today, like like the the Bible teaches that as a follower of Jesus and and a person in the kingdom of God, that we dedicate the first 10% of our income to the kingdom of God and the work of the church and the spreading of the gospel and to the helping of the need. That, that's just what we do. And for some of us, that's like a foreign idea. Either A, because you've never been taught it, or B, because the thought and notion of doing that is so crazy and weird and radical. I'm telling you this. If the thought of putting God first in your finances is crazy, weird, and radical, you might be greedy. There might, you might, not, you might not be a redneck, but you might be greedy. I heard one that said you might be a redneck if, uh, if you've been married three times and you still have the same in-laws. You might be a redneck. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, listen, listen. You, you might be greedy if you sit around and daydream and fantasize about the money that you wish you had and what you could do with it. You might, you, you might, be, you might be greedy if you sit around and daydream and fascinate about Making more money in different ways to make more money. You might be. Hey, you might be greedy if you sit around and look at jealously everybody who has stuff that you don't have. And all you do is wish that you had it. 
is there a possibility that we might have a scarecrow in our melon patch? Is it possible that we took something that can be a good thing, like money can be a good thing, but we turned it into an ultimate thing? Some of us, we, if, listen, if you sit around and you constantly stress and worry about not having enough, you might have a scarecrow. It's a different kind of grief, but you have an idol in your heart. You have a scarecrow in your melon patch. And, the, and Jesus said, this is the one that gets us most often. This is the one that truly competes as the number one thing of our heart, even beyond the other two that we'll talk about in this series. Jesus said it was money. It was stuff. It was possessions. And it will drive us to do stupid and to do weird things. We might be greedy. Listen to me. Listen, I wrote this down so you could take notes on it. God's salvation has not come in response to a changed life, but a changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. What I want you to know is this, is that I want you to live a life not, not trying to give because you owe. I want you to live a life of generosity because God has been generous towards you. Like the whole thing about like 10%, and they'll ask me stuff like this, and be like, hey, that whole 10% thing, and that was, that was Old Testament, right? Like we're New Testament, we, we don't have to do that. And I'd be like, well, did they have more understanding of the goodness and grace of God back then, or do we have more? And then they get quiet. They're like, uh, we do? <laughs> you know, like, hey, who, who's received more? Who's, who's been given more? Like, they, they had a glimpse and a shadow of what God's salvation would look like. We saw it with Jesus hanging on the cross, paying the price for our sins. Like, we, we've been getting everything. So, so, like, 10%, here's the reality. 10% is just the minimum. It's just the starting point. Like, we shouldn't be thinking, how little do I have to give? We should be thinking, God, how could I give more? That would be the generous heart in response to God's generosity towards us. Now, I'm not saying you can go out and give 50% of your income, because most of y'all couldn't. Maybe none of y'all could. But we could start somewhere. Everybody say, here and now. What you see is Zacchaeus responding, saying, here and now, I need to change. I've been a greedy person my entire life. I have put them at, at the ultimate thing. I have hurt people, wounded people, abused people, take advantage of people. But now because of God's goodness towards me, I want to repay it with generosity and with justice. Listen to these words. Andrew Carnegie is, a, um, is kind of an American icon of the industrial revolution. He was the guy that was the number one steel manufacturer. At one point in time, he was the richest man in the world. Andrew Carnegie said these words, and I want you to follow along with me, because it's fascinating. This, this guy was a businessman, incredibly successful. Listen to the words that he says. He says, man must have an idol. This isn't the Bible. <laughs> this is a, Andrew Carnegie. The amassing wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately, therefore, should I be careful to choose the life which will be the most elevating in character. To continue much longer, overwhelmed by business cares, and with most of my thoughts wholly upon the way to make more money in the shortest time, must degrade me beyond hope of permanent recovery. Therefore, I will resign business at age 35. But, but during the ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and in reading systematically. That's fascinating. He said that at the age of 33. But if you know his story, he did not resign. He did not quit. He kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to make more. But I want you to see his revelation and his understanding. Even he recognized being the wealthiest. Listen, he had everything he could have ever imagined or wanted. And he recognized 
there is a scarecrow in my melon patch. There is an idol in my heart driving me. Driving me to do something that I don't want to do, to be something I don't want to be, to push me to a place where I might not even have any hope of recovery. And even he, being fully aware of it, could not shake it. I don't know what kind of relationship he had with God, if any. But even he recognized that there was an idol in his heart. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, we all need to just work from the assumption that greed is in our heart. We should all just assume that it's there until we find it. But in response to God's goodness and grace, if you're in here today and you say, I recognize that I've got greed. I rec- I did, that whole redneck thing, that's me. That whole, you might be greedy if, that's me. Here's what I want you to do. Here and now. I want you to make a decision. Here's the challenging part. Like I told you, the way, that you, the way that you overcome certain things is not just by praying about it. The way that you overcome things is by taking specific action. And Zacchaeus shows us the blueprint. Now, I'm not saying you need to write a check to the church today. To, forget that. That's ridiculous. I want you to make a decision today to change the way that you think about money, the way that you treat money, the way that you feel about money. And it will not come automatically. But the way that it begins is saying, here and now, I'm going to change. And I'm going to put God first. Tithing is the very first step of any response of obedience towards God financially. Doing things God's way financially. We've done series about this stuff. We'll do, we'll do series in the future. But responding to God, saying, God, I, I want to live and do finances your ways. I'm telling you, it is the way that you get greed out of your heart. There is no other way to get greed out of your heart. You Because here's the deal. You can't just take greed away. You have to replace greed. Does that make sense? Any idol in your heart, you can't just take it away. Idols cannot be removed. They can only be replaced. So the whole series is based on this notion, this premise. To overcome our idols, we must restore God's rightful role and put all other things in their proper place. Everything in your life is beneath Jesus in priority. Everything should revolve around Jesus in practice, and everything should be smaller than Jesus in perspective. You cannot remove an idol you can only replace it. And the only way that you can take greed it out of your heart is by making sure that when it comes to your finances, that God is first and foremost in every way. Perspective, priority, practice, everything. And in doing so, you get to live God's abundant life. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray God, that nobody walks out of here like shamed or guilted. God, that was not, that's not ever what you've done. And so if I've done that, God, I ask for your forgiveness. But God, I pray that they walk out of here challenged. God, I pray that they maybe walk out of here convicted. God, above all, I pray that they walk out of here empowered, God, knowing what to do next. That, Lord God, they need to restore you to your proper place. That we all need to not just tear down the idol of greed, but replace it, God. That you need to be first and foremost when it comes to our stuff. That before we go thinking about stuff, we should think of you. That we, before we go spending stuff, we should, God, how would you have me spend this? God, before we go off on adventures to make more, make more, make, God, that we would consider, God, is this your path? Is this your way? Is this your will? That, Lord God, you would be ahead of all those things. God, before we go buying and spending and doing everything we want to do, that, God, we would put your kingdom first. There is an entire world in need out there. There is an entire world out there. There, there, are, there are nations upon nations that have never even heard the gospel. And, God, for us to sit back and not put you first, God, we repent. We ask for forgiveness, God. We want to put you first. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to make those steps here and now. Here and now. Not down the road, not someday, not when this happens, not when this gets worked out. Many of us, God, that's the trap that we fall into. We keep pushing out when we're going to start doing this. God, here and now. 
Here and now, we want to go back. Some of us used to be faithful with our tithes and offerings. We need to go back. Here and now, we need to go back. Some of us have never done it before. We have clenched fists. The thought of doing it just, it, it just absolutely unnerves us. God, free us. God, free us so that we can be generous. Free us so that, God, that we're not bound up with stress and worry and anxiety, God. Free us, God. Help us, Lord, to restore you to your proper place in our lives, God. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said,